What's up, everybody? Welcome to Draft Chaff. This is episode number 79. It's Christmas. My name is Zach. I'm one of your hosts, and joining me, as per usual, Ben Fisher. Dude, happy holidays. How's it going? Have a holly jolly Draft Chaff. And in case you didn't hear, we have a whole episode of stuff to do. <laughs> uh, on, don't worry, there, there, there might be more uh, singing, dancing, all sorts of shenanigans throughout the episode. Maybe even some some Zach contributions in that regard, if we can if we can bribe him or, or swing him enough. But anyway, uh, welcome to our holiday episode. It's our holiday mailbag. We're excited to talk about all the nonsense stuff that we've been getting over the past week or so. And uh, I don't know, this is going to be fun. It sure is. Before we get into that, our usual housekeeping. It may be Christmas, but we still have to do the housekeeping. Check out the Discord if you haven't already. It's the best place to be to interact with us and the rest of the traficionados outside of the show. And we do things like this mailbag mostly through the Discord, so it's a great place to be to get your input on the show and, and things like that as well. So check that out. The link to that's in the episode description as well as on our Twitter page. And if you'd like to support the show directly, you can do so on Patreon at patreon.com forward slash draftchaffpod. Huge, huge thanks to all of our patrons that continue to support us in our content creation each and every week. Really can't thank you enough. Perks over there include things like our Draft Doctor series, uh, stickers, show notes, unedited recordings of the show, and our Draft Chaff Hero cards signed and sent to you. So once again, you can check that out at patreon.com forward slash draftchaffpod. So we're going to skip our crack draft type thing this week. Uh, we do have a lot of questions to get through, so we want to make sure that we have enough time to do that. And we'll go to our Teferi Tibble, which is our Roses and Thorns style segment where Ben and I share a high and a low from the past week. Ben, what's going on? Right. So I had a field trip this week. It was the first time I've, I've been on a field trip. I've been teaching for a little bit now, but the pandemic has kind of limited my abilities. So I took my astronomy class to a local planetarium, which was pretty sweet. At a, at a nearby community college and they had a nice show there they had a big planetarium dome little gift shop uh some some fun stuff got to order food for my students and everyone had a blast so it was a, it was a good time it's also my last week of school before i got a whole week and a few days off which is nice i don't know it's 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 gonna feel short during the actual off week itself but i'm gonna try to make the most of it and i've been doing some some fun lessons for the last few days of class what i do is i teach about aliens for all my classes because you know i'm an astrophysics guy i love the love the space stuff so i talk about aliens with all my students and we talk about different hypotheses we talk about the fermi paradox talk about all the good stuff and at the very end i tell them well we've been talking about different hypotheses to explain our observations of ufos but you know fast moving objects high in the sky untraceable by modern technology usually seen in in the northern hemisphere and then I, at the very end of the class, I'm like, surprise, it's Santa. Like, obviously. <laughs> it's the only thing that uh, every, makes any sense to me. Every UFO we've ever seen has just been Santa in disguise. And then at the very, very end of class, I had all my students sing Mariah Carey's All I Want for Christmas is You. <laughs> and anyone that sang, I gave them a candy cane on the way out. <laughs> Nice. So well done. Uh, that was a that was a good time. And I you'd be shocked what students will do when candy is held as a motivator. Like I, I heard people that have barely said a word all year that they're like, oh, well, no, this is easy. I'm doing this. <laughs> so a, a good time. Uh, as far as my Tybalt's this week, kind of the, the Omicron variant is messing with a lot of good plans. Uh, one of my, my plans to the break, my white elephant with some friends from school is getting canceled. I was supposed to go to karaoke this past weekend. That got canceled. 
my one of my family get-togethers that's canceled. I mean, I don't know, not not looking great, but I guess we'll see what the future holds. Yeah, on the bright side, it does seem like death rates compared to like contraction rates are are a lot more skewed in the in favor of people not dying with this variant at least. So yeah, uh, you know that's that's a good it. thing. Yeah, it's just a lot of people are getting it. Hopefully, uh, hopefully that that dies down sh- shortly here. Still a little concerned about long-term effects. I mean, neither of us have had it yet, right? Not to my knowledge. Yeah. So hopefully we're we're in the clear, but you know, <laughs> we'll, time will tell. Indeed, indeed. So for me, my Teferi this week is obviously Christmas. It's always good to have this sort of time. It's it's weird because the older you get, I feel the less like Christmas it feels when it gets to Christmas. Like this mm-hmm. year just doesn't. It doesn't even feel like it's a holiday anymore. So that's a little bit unfortunate. But excited to see some family and just kind of chill for a couple days. I didn't take any time off for Christmas this year, which is also unique. Usually I'll take a week or two off around Christmas. Um, instead, I'm taking the first two weeks of January off. So um, just kind of moved my my time off to the, the beginning of the new year. But yeah, I'm excited to get to see some family and, and hang out and just chill for a bit. And then my Tybalt is kind of the same old I mentioned. I was going through some personal stuff last week, still unresolved. Uh, but also the the COVID stuff, It's it really is throwing a wrench in 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 things and you know it's we just start to get kind of used to existing around it as Mm -hmm. it kind of flatlined in terms of spikes and all that kind of stuff and then now it's spiking again and that that kind of feels bad and going back to like mask mandates and things potentially and yeah i don't know it's not fun yeah especially in the new york city area and the surrounding like Havoka in Jersey City. I've been hearing stuff about like four hour covid waiting lines to see if you could like get a test and then uh, you get to the front line and then get waitlisted or stuff like that. One of my friends told me about. Yeah, it's not a <laughs> not the most fun scenario. Uh, I remember a time when we thought this might be over in like three months or so. I remember like, a time man. when I thought this would never hit us. <laughs> yeah, yeah I, I miss our optimism in those days. But I feel you on the whole like Christmas not really feeling super holiday-y. I don't know. It felt like uh, in the past there's been more buildup, more lead right. up. But yeah, I don't know. I, I barely realized that, uh, you know, it's, it's right around the corner. But I, I don't want to sound too bummed about this. You know, like I'm still very excited that we get the holiday season, get to do some cool stuff. Your, your gift is going to come eventually. Uh, it's probably going to come late because i ordered it from overseas so we'll see if it gets here curious what it is um i might have to try out some of my sleuthing skills but good luck i doubt yeah i doubt i'll be able to figure anything out for the listener though i am a chronic snooper growing up i always knew 95 plus percent of the presents my my parents or otherwise were getting me so yeah i it's it's a talent but i don't live with Ben and I don't know all that much about what he may have potentially gotten me so it's difficult to uh, figure this one out but yours should be there Friday if I if I'm to believe the shipping companies (laughs) yeah it's gonna be tough for you to guess mine um there might be a little bit of a custom customization involved which will add another factor although I suppose that's also a hint so I'm just gonna shut up (laughs) (laughs) see that's what I do you just you just fish for no no I'm stopping no I'm I'm done (laughs) (laughs) All right. All right. Well, let's get into our our holiday Q&A here. We've got a handful of questions to get through, and I think this is going to be a good time. We should have some fun with this. Now, I will say most of our questions came in through the Discord, but we did also have a Google form out there for folks to to answer on if they didn't feel like joining the Discord. We did get a response through through the survey, so we'll go through that one first. Unfortunately, it's anonymous, so I'm not sure who asked this, but we'll we'll go through that one, and then we'll comb through the questions we got in the Discord. So the first question here for our holiday Q&A of 2021 is what play did you make that was so good that you remember it vividly still 
And on the flip side, how about a punt? So I've got a great one for my my legendary play. This one was good enough that it got LSV and Gabby Sparts on Twitter to both commend me and say that was dope. So that's, that's I think, a good uh, qualifier. It was during Vintage Cube which doesn't happen very often, although I think it's actually live right now. And if I if I saw correctly, it looks like everyone's everyone with a Magic Online account was gifted a free entry into Vintage Cube, which seems pretty sweet. Uh, anyway, I was playing Vintage Cube. My opponent, turn one, they thought seized themselves. They're playing Reanimator and they thought seized themselves. And uh, they've been, um, it was like an Archon of Absolution, whatever the thing is. It's like the big 4-4, enters the battlefield, blow up permanent, that thing. But because they thought seized themselves, they revealed that they had Exhume uh, as their reanimation spell, which is one of the black. Each player puts a creature card from their graveyard on the battlefield. The joke in the deck is that your opponent doesn't have a creature in their graveyard yet. So you just get back yours for free and your opponent, like it breaks the symmetry because they don't have it yet. So they passed to me. Uh, I was playing green ramp and I look at my hand and I see that I have a mirror battle sphere, which is like a big seven or eight cost artifact. It enters the battlefield. It's like a four seven and it makes like four mirror tokens. And then you can tap them and do all sorts of weird stuff. So I'm looking and I'm thinking, man, how do I beat a turn to like four, four flying exile thing? And then it hit me. I'm just not going to play a land. I'm going to pass the turn go to discard and discard the mirror battle sphere. So that way, if they cast Exhume, they get their 4-4 flyer, but I get like seven power on the board. And I would actually win that game because, you know, I'd be racing with the four tokens and then they could exile the battle sphere, but then I still have the tokens and I, I felt pretty good about it. Opponent was like, I, I want to think that they were speechless because they didn't know what to do. They paused for a bit and they didn't cast Exhume. Uh, so th they just ended up just not casting the reanimation spell. They ended up trying to play more like mid-rangey game and I just played a green ramp game and I won the game from that spot. So it felt incredible. That was by far a memorable play. That you? is that is sick. That that's one of those moments where you're like you're seeing the negative space. Like you know, like you look at certain pictures, you can see a different picture if you look at the negative space there. Like what's not drawn. Yeah. You kind of saw yeah. that and like, well, wait, what can I? How do I get out of this if I do nothing? <laughs> yeah. Like when <laughs> is it? When is answer. it correct to? Uh, when is it correct to skip your first land drop? Occasionally, I found the corner out, case. Turns out it is occasionally correct to do so. Yeah, for me, you know, it's funny. I can't actually, I feel like, and maybe it's because I don't have them that often, or the ones I do have are not that special, but I don't actually remember any, like, legendary plays I've made. There are some situations that, that I feel like are pretty cool. Like, I was I was telling Ben before the show, actually, just recently, I, I thought I punted, and it actually came down to my opponent punting for me, but I made an attack that could have killed my opponent if they didn't do a certain block or whatever, and they didn't block the way I wanted them to, and then I pass a turn, and then they had lethal on board. I was just dead on board, and then they hesitated at their combat step, passed through combat. All they had to do was full swing. They passed through combat, and then passed to me, and I won the game. And I was, like, mm. thrilled, but I didn't really do anything there. In really? fact, I messed up, so... <laughs> um, that counts as both a legendary play and a legendary punt, I think. There you go, there you go. No, but my legendary punt I've talked about before on the show, and that was at Theros Beyond Death, pre-release oh no it was a gp gp new jersey yeah, for theros yeah. beyond death doing two-headed giant sealed where i perfectly read that our opponent was on a thassus oracle game plan oh, like yeah. i don't know maybe five or six turns ahead of when they were able to cast it and i was looking at ben i was like i smell a thassus oracle i feel they've got one and i had like three or four counter spells in hand and i was playing them pretty liberally and I got down to my last counterspell and I was like, they played a they played a threat that was pretty serious. We probably still would have won the game through that threat if they, they landed it, but it was a threat. And I was like, I could counter this now 
But if I do that, I'm not going to be able to counter a Thassa's Oracle. How likely are they to have opened that? And based on the way they were playing, I felt pretty confident they had it. But I was like, whatever, mm. I'm just going to I'm just going to counter this this uh threat and then the next turn they played Thassa's Oracle and I was like you gotta be kidding me <laughs> yeah so it, that, that was that's partially my fault too because I also felt it was unlikely uh they had the little like I don't remember what it's called it was a horror it was it cost like one blue black or no it was just blue black it was the the signpost uncommon where you can pay four and mill a card and then it gets plus one plus one and unblockable or something right uh, or with like whenever one of your cards is milled it gets that and they kept activating it and like just binning all of their stuff over and over. Yeah, that was it. Yeah, they <laughs> churned was, through their deck. Something. It was just like, it was so obvious they were pushing to a Thassa's Oracle. Uh, funnily enough, my most legendary punt that I can think of was also at a at a GP. Uh, although it was, a, it was further back. It was when we played Standard. Uh, do you remember the Esper control deck that we oh, built? Oh, yes, I do. So we were playing Esper control with like Torrential Gear Hulks and I think, was it Hero's Downfall or... Whatever, whatever version of that card was in standard, it might Essence have been Extraction the, was in there. Yeah. What was the Destroy Target Planeswalker that we were playing? It was like a three, two, one black black Destroy Target Creature Planeswalker. It might have been the one that had Awaken. It might was, have. Was that deck a lot of, we did run Part the Water Veil in that deck, which had a lot of, uh, a lot, like yeah. there was some Awaken stuff going on. But it was a Metallurgic Summonings God. deck. The whole idea was just to like get Metallurgic Summonings oh, out. That, that deck was of, so cool. It really was. <laughs> Yeah, uh, but anyway, I remember that my opponent had out an Obnixilis, and I didn't quite grasp at the time how Planeswalker activated abilities worked with the stack. I thought that if you put a Planeswalker's activated ability on the stack, you could fizzle it by killing the Planeswalker, like before the mm. like the loyalty counters were removed. I don't understand that the loyalty counters being removed was like part of the cost. Right. Uh, so I remember I like my opponent used Obnixilis as minus three, which I think is like destroy target creature or something. And I tried killing it in response and they were like, OK. <laughs> <laughs> and I was like, wait a minute. So my thing is fine. Right. And they're like, well, no, uh, we call a judge. It was really embarrassing. It was uh, I mean, I guess you can call that a punt, not understanding the rules. Right. That, that, at a high-level tournament, yes. <laughs> yeah, at a, like day one of a, of a Grand Prix. So uh, I would call that a bit of a punt. That, that was one of my more embarrassing plays. Uh, not, not my finest moment, we'll say. There you go. All right, so our next question comes from Dorigan, and the question is, how does year two of Draft Chaff feel compared to year one? So for me, this was this is an interesting question because I feel like it felt way better, but also kind of worse. And it felt way better because our Discord has been amazing and it grew a lot more i think in year two than it did in year one and i think we've really found a nice core of our of our audience that interacts with us on a regular basis and has been a huge help in making the show what it is today and yeah. we've obviously gotten well i'd like to think at least we've gotten better at doing this <laughs> so you know that that's part of it as well and it's been good to to see that sort of growth and and kind of look back on where, where things were when we started and now you know like i went back like a couple months ago and i listened to our first episode and i was just like blown away by how awful it was <laughs> um, it was really bad yeah but yeah. it feels a little worse because we actually had this weird cool hookup at the beginning of the show oh, which yeah. was that we got we got a sponsor with mtga mtga zone basically we got that sponsorship because i was writing articles for their runeterra like sister website and they knew that i was at least reliable or whatever they they were willing to work with us for a bit on it and we got our our art redesign through them we yep. got pu like published on their 
basically on their front page of the website every week when we put our episodes out. So we got a huge boost in listeners out of the gate from that. And then about this time last year, like around Christmas, it was maybe a little before Christmas, uh, sometime in, in November, December, that kind of partnership dissolved and a lot of those listeners went with it. I guess they didn't sub to us. They were just seeing us regularly on, on MTGA zone. So they'd listen through the site. And yep. so we lost a lot of, a lot of listeners there and we haven't been able to get back up to that number. Not that the numbers are everything, but it is cool to see month after month growth. Mm-hmm. Um, and we've that st- we've, we've found again, like a very nice core group of people who come back every, every single week to listen to our show, which is phenomenal. And we never thought would happen, Yeah, but it would be nice best. to start seeing, to start seeing some growth. Um, month over month yeah uh, i i would echo a lot of that i don't want to say we like fumbled the bag or anything because we we obviously we have our awesome patrons and now we're we're you know we still write articles we toss stuff up over at card sphere which is a lot of fun and i think we've learned from that experience i'd like to think also going back and looking at, at older episodes yeah o- almost cringeworthy not that we're not cringeworthy now in a year i expect to look back and cringe at myself again but i think that's a good thing like if, if you don't look back at yourself and cringe a little bit maybe maybe you're not growing as much as you could be um, for sure we also own our cringe a little bit better now <laughs> oh yeah <laughs> it's our we, we we've labeled it our brand right like right right you know what they say, D- don't kill the part of you that's cringe, kill the part of you that cringes. <laughs> sure, something like that, yeah. Yeah, but but um, I think year two has felt more structured, which uh, we've, we've kind of gotten down a lot of our stuff. We know what kinds of episodes we like to make. I like that we have regular episodes, but I also never want to feel limited by the episodes that we do. Uh, like, for example, if we ever come to a point where we feel that one of our core episodes just doesn't really work anymore, like, not that I don't love, like, Draft Chef Hero and, like, Flavor Town and all that good stuff, but if we ever came to it and said, like, oh, let's change this up or let's make something new, I would never want to feel bad about that because like this is our podcast right like we're doing this for fun we started this because we just wanted to talk about magic and we're humbled and honored that other people want to hang out with us and talk about magic too yeah i mean that's that's a big part of it as well as soon as it stops being fun it's not worth doing anymore so you know we definitely want to keep that piece up and i'm excited to see what what year i guess three i mean we aren't really going into year three yet we're still in our second year, but I'm excited mm-hmm. to see what that will look like as well. And sort of, you know, maybe who we could get on the show and can we grow the show to be, to reach more people who maybe are starting to feel maybe a little bit disenfranchised or, or less um, included because the whole organized play thing has kind of fallen through and we kind of focus on just having fun and the aspects of the game that are enjoyable and yeah. where we find fun in it. So hopefully we can kind of spread that out and, and get, get more folks on board with just chilling with the chaff as it were next up question from bat wheels are you excited about the book of boba fett i was originally very concerned that disney was making too many star wars shows but if they keep the production levels up i'm very excited thoughts yeah uh totally excited about it i've ignored everything i've seen if i if anything even remotely mentioned book of boba fett online i've i've ignored it so far so i don't really know anything that it's supposed to be about except that it's supposed to involve boba fett he's one of my if not my all-time favorite character. Like, he's in easily my top three favorite characters in Star Wars, so very excited to get more from him. And again, yeah, the the production value of, say, like, The Mandalorian has been phenomenal. I was a little skeptical at first when they announced the slew of shows that they were planning to make because it was a lot, but I'm pretty confident in the people who are working behind this show just based on Mandalorian, and so I'm, I'm pretty excited about it, yeah. I'd say so too. I've also been concerned about the oversaturation of 
I don't want to anger the mighty mouse, but the the oversaturation of Disney stuff in general. Uh, I followed the Marvel phases, like the the first few, pretty reliably, like booking first week tickets for everything. But a lot of the more recent ones, I haven't really felt that kind of drive. And I think it'd be sad if that ends up happening with Star Wars to me, just because, I don't know, some of the more recent movies... Uh, Episode nine in particular, I found particularly egregious, but I guess maybe we'll save that for another question down the line. I, I was impressed by by uh, the Mandalorian; like I thought that had a lot of great stuff in it. Did it get a little bit fan servicey at points? Yes. Was that fan service directed towards people like me? Also, yes. So it's hard to balance the the critical aspect and also the part of me that just loves cool space stuff. Yeah, that's fair. And and they they were trying to pack a lot of faith restoring fan service in there because. Yeah. Disney did kind of squash a bunch of stuff when they made, turned everything into legends and they're trying mm-hmm. to bring these things back in a way that that fits in with the the canon and all that in terms of what Disney's view for what Star Wars should be should look like and yeah so far I'm excited curious how they'll do some of the shows that like either got can I guess they won't be doing things that got canceled. I'm more honestly more excited about Obi-Wan than I am Boba Fett, mm. but I'm excited about both. Some parts of me are afraid that they're going to overexplore. I almost the element of mysticism behind some things, like in particular for Obi-Wan, I don't feel as though I need to know what Obi-Wan was doing. And to be clear, Obi-Wan is my all-time favorite Star Wars character, like just the best. But I almost don't want to know what he was doing on Tatooine for like 50 years, you know? Like it, not that it's not going to be cool to explore it, but it might, I don't know. I don't want to pull back the curtain and see the wizard, you know? That's fair. And to be honest, I'm actually more excited about seeing Vader in that show than I am seeing Obi-Wan because we got such a cool taste of Vader in Rogue One. Mm-hmm. And then I'm like, ah, I need more of that. Like that was the Vader we should have gotten in all these other movies that they yeah. couldn't do because of the technology. And I want more of that. I agree with you though. Like there is a space where you could overextend and especially with Obi-Wan because there's this weird sort of niche part of like we know what happened before Tatooine if you've seen Rebels you know part of what happens at the end of Tatooine before he dies I don't know that we really need to see all the in-between and it kind of feels like there's there isn't anything to go over in the in-between right like it kind of would be hilarious if it was actually just a sitcom like him just sitting in, (laughs) in like a hut for 50 years or whatever yeah, overall, I would say I'm, I'm pretty excited about the Book of Boba Fett. More excited than I have been about any of the uh, the Marvel stuff that's been coming out recently. I don't know. I guess I'll go see Spider-Man. <laughs> I kind of have to at this point, right? Yeah. Well, that actually segues nicely into our next question from Wolverine, which is, what's your favorite franchise? Marvel, Lord of the Rings, something else? So what is it? That's, I mean, that's, mm. that's a big question. That's a tough question to answer these days. Oh, man. Like... Even just thinking about favorite like IPs in general, that's God favorite franchise. I think I might cop out a little bit here and just say Zelda. If we're talking like franchises in general, I think consistently across the board, it's had the most, the best quality across all of its many, many iterations. Uh, as far as like visual arts franchise, whew, I mean, Star Wars is is certainly up there. Um, do you, would you call Avatar: The Last Airbender slash Korra a franchise? So that's a tough one because I I don't know what it takes to really be considered a franchise or how many installments you need to have a franchise. Given yeah. that there's like comic books and we have two series of the show and they yeah. are planning to expand it into other stuff, I would say it's probably fair to call it a franchise at this point. That's up there for me if we are in are including that. Avatar Last Airbender is just phenomenal. Like such an amazing meld of like child show with 
real serious undertones for adults that can like really just strike home and hit you in the heart and all those kinds of things. It's a very mm. mature show for children. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's infinitely rewatchable too. It's, it's great yeah. in, in the backgrounds. Uh, I will hold to this day. Uncle Iroh is my all time favorite fictional character. Just like, no, there's phenomenal. nothing better. He's yeah. just the best top tier character design yeah i'd probably i'd probably go with avatar if we could count that other franchises i like though star wars i do love lord of the rings marvel has definitely had some hits and misses for me uh it certainly beats out dc <laughs> sorry to uh Ooh, to you as a batman right. fan i like this. to <laughs> we, we can we, we can um now you cannot tell me with a straight face that the new batman stuff has been like high quality to find new batman because the stuff that's not out yet the okay the, okay the uh the new like the batman movie is looking pretty good i'm actually excited about this robert pattinson yes right yes i actually do like robert pattinson quite a bit the lighthouse is is awesome and like i think both he and willem dafoe really showed themselves in that not that i knew that any convincing that willem dafoe is a talented actor but robert pattinson anyone that, that wrote him off as the guy from twilight certainly has to rethink honestly kristen stewart now she's been she's been putting out bangers too um really they they have uh, if if twilight goes down as some of the worst stuff in their repertoires then i think that's that's pretty okay I specifically mean anything in the Ben Affleck Batman yeah, series. No, that it's, just... it's all garbage. But here's <laughs> here's where here's where I have to make a, a, a stand, plant my flag. I think the Marvel Cinematic Universe is one of the most incredible feats of cinema that we've seen because the, just because they've managed to make it work for so long and despite the plot yeah. holes that ha- have to exist when you have dozens upon dozens of movies that span across hundreds of characters, it's mm. going to happen. But they have made something so consistently good for so long that from a cinema perspective, it's just wild to me that it was even a, something they could accomplish. The Marvel Cinematic mm. Universe trumps anything DC's done just in general. We've seen DC's attempts to mirror it, like via right. Justice League and stuff like that, and it just hasn't really worked. Well, what? So here's what ha- here's really what happened with that was Marvel started with technically the Hulk, but really it was Iron Man that kind of kickstarted yeah. the the, Mar- the cinematic universe. And by the time DC caught on to like, oh crap, this is getting really popular. People love these superhero movies. They didn't have enough time. If they wanted to do the same thing Marvel did, they would have had to do like a Superman movie, a Batman movie, a Flash movie, a all these things. And that takes years upon like it took them like a decade to get all of that set up before they could really yeah. do like the Avengers and all that kind of stuff. So what they did, what DC did was they started with the Justice League and then we're like, hey, we'll start with this movie that brings everybody together and then we'll show individual movies to highlight all of those characters. But it doesn't really work that way because then your your big mashup team movie nobody knows any of the characters and doesn't care about them and you know you lose out on all the different emotions there. So that said, I prefer DC's comic books. I've always preferred mm. DC's comic books. I think they're all much better. They're a lot grittier, a lot more realistic, a lot more interesting. Though I do have a soft spot for a bunch of the different Marvel series. Um, yeah, I'm a big, much bigger fan of DC's comics and their characters mm. in general. I like better. better. Uh, I just don't like their attempts at movies <laughs> as much outside of the dark Knight. yeah of course i have to shout out infinity war like kind of along the lines of what you said it it shouldn't have worked like conceptually right. um but 
it worked because they were able to set up like it, it, it was kind of the the crowning jewel of this of the of the MCU because they were able to set up all these characters and actually have the audience care about who they were. Then they were able to come in and make a movie with like 15 main characters and just not have to explain any of them, which most movies could never get away with because we already knew them. We already knew the motivations. We already cared about them, felt like we had relationships with them. Uh, and then it was able to focus and make it the Thanos movie, which exactly. really was a, a, a creative risk to take. And I think it paid off really well, specifically in that case. Endgame 2 had a little less going for it, but still kind of brought everything home effectively. Um, I don't know. I, I, I get a little mad when stuff descends too heavily into CGI nonsense fights. But, for example, I think WandaVision was one of the stronger things that they had going in the new TV show stuff. Although that, of course, did also end in a big CGI laser fight. But overall, I would say that the the, the creativity behind the, the, I don't know, the creation of it had a little more going for it. And that kind of kept me interested. Yeah, and I don't think I actually answered this question. <laughs> I don't know that I have a particular favorite franchise. Like if I, if I could only consume content from one of these franchises that's the one i would pick I'm not really sure what that would be i mean i guess these days it probably would end up being magic just because that's mm. there is a lot of lore to to the game and but really it would probably be lord of the rings or star wars um i never was a star trek fan really like i watched the newer movies and they're 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 fine um mm. but i just gravitated to star wars for some reason over over star trek yeah and then of course of course batman and such but i I don't know if you'd really consider batman his own franchise Mm, maybe so our next question kind of comes segues off of wolverine's question here it's from bat whales and it's just can we separate those franchises into cinematics books etc so like what is your favorite Hmm. movie series favorite book series favorite video game maybe we'll go with those three i would say cinematics i'd probably have to stay with uh with Avatar or Star Wars. It's so I can't pick. Don't make me pick. I won't do it. I refuse. As far as books, I honestly wish I read more books, but I will shout out Lord of the Rings for this one. I think that's just got to take the cake. Just an all-timer, a classic. And then if you want to go video game, video game franchise, probably probably Zelda, although I have to say the, I'd call Portal slash Half-Life. Uh, I would consider those under the same general umbrella of, you know, good good steam games um i'd put that up classics yeah yeah the valve classics i'd put that up there too Uh, and i guess we can you know put magic under that (laughs) (laughs) say say magic is a a game franchise that we we both i think we enjoy it right i would say so i mean we spend an amount of time on it on a regular basis yeah i think we might even have a few other pastimes devoted to it as well but yeah who knows how about you yeah for me cinematics um i guess would probably go to to something like i guess we're talking like a whole franchise probably marvel i love a bunch of stupid movies that are like well done movies but are just dumb like like john wick phenomenal oh yeah phenomenal movie and i mean two and three are less good than the first but they're still fine but the marvel movies were just so painstakingly put together over so many years and the fact that they even worked in the first place is just mind-blowing to me um books i would tend to agree with you on lord of the rings i'm a big fantasy person but I actually think Brandon Sanderson's Stormlight mm. Archive is better than the Lord of the Rings. It's, wow. There's, it's better world building. Wow. That's, he, that's, a, that's is, high praise. Yeah. Brandon Sanderson is the modern day J.R.R. Tolkien. He, he just is. Um, mm. Now, if you can deal with reading through 1,200 page books 
definitely check out the Stormlight Archive. There are four of them. There are planned to be ten of them, and they're so far hmm. all over twelve hundred pages. So <laughs> that is a long. lot of pages. But you know, very, um, very good. he sometimes he sometimes hangs out in LSV's Twitch streams. Does he really? That's so cool. Yeah, they just hang out, and sometimes it becomes more of like a Q and A with Brandon Sanderson than Q and A with LSV. But uh, they, they chat. Apparently, it's pretty cool. That's dope. Yeah, and then uh, video games, my favorite video game series for a long time was Kingdom Hearts. They're not mm. good games. <laughs> like, <laughs> mechanically speaking, they are not, they were not good. I haven't played any of the reboots of them or, like, the the um, the ports or whatever to, like, PC or anything like that. But for a long, long time, they were that was my favorite game franchise. These days, I don't know that I have one. I haven't played very many video games outside of Magic in a long time um, on, like, a regular basis. So any of the, like, strategy-style games are... are up my alley and then rpgs and shooters are also up my alley so yeah next up we've got a question from wolverine <laughs> okay you're a potato prepared whatever way you want to be what's the best condiment on said potato preparation well so we have to preface this with what that potato preparation is right yeah i think so I- i'd say so Ooh, this is so tough there's so many good ways to have eat to eat potatoes I actually have an answer for this that I don't think we've gotten yet, and that is potachos. Okay. I guess I should explain. Yeah, you There's should. There's a place. <laughs> <laughs> there is a fantastic uh, bar and restaurant near me. Uh, it's in New Brunswick, uh, just off like the, the Rutgers campus, Are You Ra Ra? And uh, it's called Stuff Your Face. Just, you know, the name says it all. They're known for their giant drinks, their strombolis, and their potachos which are potato chip nachos. So they have done away with the traditional tortilla chip and said, what if we just put a bunch of potato chips and then use that as the basis of our nachos? And the loaded nachos that you can get there with the potato chips on the bottom are just, like, if you sit down with a group of friends and you get potachos and two of their big drinks, you're just in for a great time. Like, just by default, it's, it's just, like, pure catharsis. And by the time you finish the drinks... You finish the nachos and you're ready to go hit up wherever else. Uh, that is my potato preparation of choice. Turn them into a chip, dump a bunch of meat and cheese and peppers and everything else on top. Now, the best condiment that's going on top there, this is a little controversial, but it's ketchup. Uh, there's, a, there's a little bit of ketchup on top of everything to, to kind of add a little bit of, uh, of tomato-y flavor to the rest of it. So it's a gross bastardization of many cultures in one. But it is delicious. That is the American way, though, is it not? Oh, it is. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. Uh, that, that's my personal preparation of choice. Interesting. So one way that I really love potatoes is actually tachos, which is mm. tater tot nachos. Oh. Where, yeah, you, you use tater tots instead of chips in any capacity. Huh. And then you just shovel them with like a massive fork or something. You just shovel yeah. them in your mouth. <laughs> um, but you get all the same toppings and stuff and that's phenomenal. That's one really good way to do it. Um, I like to do like jalapenos and cheese and meat and salsa and I actually prefer a mango salsa when I do that. For mm. some reason it's, it's just good to get a little bit of that sweet kind of tangy in there. So that's really good. I'm also a big loaded baked potato fan, which can just be what you need them to be. Um, and then uh, potato wedges are also very good. I'll pretty much eat potatoes any sort of way. But I guess in terms of like condiments... Um, sour cream is a pretty pretty amazing go-to for like almost any potato dish that you need i don't know that i would eat like fries dipped in sour cream you could i wouldn't judge you for doing that but i i don't know that that would be my go-to for that but Mm. sour cream is a pretty good generic condiment for for potatoes now if we're talking more general i don't know if i'd put this on potatoes either but uh 
Spicy mayo has quickly been rising through my personal ranking system as probably my favorite condiment. Uh, it's just good stuff. You can do anything with it. Maybe I would put it on a potato. I mean, I'm sure it would be good, right? Oh, yeah, yeah, for sure. I, and actually, I mean, a lot of people eat potato, like, um, not potato chips, but fries. And sorry for all of our UK fans. We're talking about, like, what are, what are the French fries? I don't know what you call them. It, yeah, it's chips. Yes. Uh, <laughs> chips and crisps, right? So. Um, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Oh, we're, we're, oh, that's right. That's right. We're throwing people off. Yeah. So, yes, we're in the U.S., so fries are, are chips to us and our chips are your crisps if you're in the uk in any case people will eat fries with mayo pretty regularly like that's a normal thing in the u.s now i'm a fan of any sort of compound aioli so like just a mayo-based mm-hmm. sauce that you put like like some kind of sweet chili into so you get like a nice sweet chili aioli or oh, a garlic aioli or any of those kinds of things any compound mayo is like delicious i'll put that on anything mm-hmm. uh i i also have to shout out potato skins um yes. I, I well, I do love potatoes. I don't have them that frequently. The more frequent way that I'd say I have potatoes is like a baked potato that you then load up, and then once you get down to the skin, you know, put some some more cheese on it, then sour cream or chives or bacon bits or anything like that, and then you know, rebake it again. That that that's good stuff. Yeah. Also, secondary shout out for like breakfast potatoes, where you just have like. Mm. So either either hash brown or um, yeah, just like like cubed potatoes that you eat with your breakfast. Also phenomenal. All right. So our next question comes from Koga. And that is, if you're introducing yourself to a new person that you're just getting to know, how would you describe yourself? Hmm. That is a good one. I don't have to describe myself very often. So I guess that means I can say that I'm a pretty outgoing and forward person. Um, I would also say that I am sometimes too idealistic for my own good. <laughs> if, uh, if that could count, I would describe myself as a a former INTP, you know, uh, the, the whole Myers-Briggs personality type. I used to be very attached to the fact that I was a very analytical and calculating person uh, back in high school, I would say. But since then, I think I've broadened into more of a uh, empathetic and feeling person than, than I used to be. That, that, that sums me up pretty well. It's funny you say that. Just recently, Hannah and I, my wife and I were talking about high school and like different things. And it came up that Ben and I had an argument, probably more than one argument slash disagreement discussion kind of thing. I mean, it was, didn't get to the point where we were like raising our voices at each other or anything. But we would disagree on how like, at least in the US, there's a stigma with guys being able to share their feelings. And like, mm. you know, that's considered not masculine or whatever. And... I never really understood that and never thought that was like, okay. I thought that was really unhealthy. And so we would go back and forth about this. And I said that to Hannah and she was like, that doesn't make any sense to me at all. Ben's such a like feely per like he, he's, he's good with that. Yeah. Kind of thing. So yeah. Yeah. So uh, I think that, that follows suit. Yeah. Yeah. To be honest, I don't even remember that, <laughs> but <laughs> I also don't remember a lot of high school. I, I have a, a pretty terrible memory, which is, I guess, something else that I would say about myself. <laughs> How about you? Yeah, this question actually got me to think the same thing. Like, I don't really find myself needing to describe myself very often. When I meet new people, it's it's very rare that they're like, tell me your life story or like describe yourself to me. You usually kind of just figure that out as you get to know people. But I guess I describe myself as an overly analytical person who's in touch with his feelings and yeah. cares a lot about movies and tech and finances. And I play a lot of magic. <laughs> <laughs> that about yeah. sums it up. 
I don't know if I'd if I'd hit them with that like in the first meeting. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I you don't you don't just carry all your modern and commander decks around with you at all times, so you can just be like, here you go, this is me. Now that's how you do it. You pull out each of your commander decks. And oh you my say, god! Yeah. Look at these deck lists, and you'll know everything you need to know about me. Well, I will say. Uh, for meeting fellow magic players, that is a great shortcut to figuring out what they're like. One of the other student teachers at my school that I was like, you know, getting to know this this marking period, I found out that he played commander and I was like, okay, who are your commanders? And instantly I'm like, oh, okay, I get this guy's vibe. I told him mine and he was like, oh, okay, I get it now. <laughs> like, sure. Batwheels follows up along with this. What is one thing that you think is cool, but not easy to bring up in conversation? Yeah, that's that's tough. Probably, I mean, magic is one of them. I feel like it's less... The, I feel like this is something like the older you get, the less problematic this sort of thing is. Like, you kind of just get comfortable with yourself and your your hobbies, and if other people aren't comfortable with those things, then, like, fine. Who cares, yeah. Right. Yeah, I'm not sure that there is anything that I'm, like, that I think is really cool but won't bring up. I don't know. Do you have, do you have an answer to this? I, I'm not sure that I do. I would say within other existing spheres, there might be some things for me. I love Wes Anderson movies, and I feel like that describes myself really well, but that's not necessarily something that I'd want to bring up immediately in, in conversation. If it, like This is following along with the whole uh, like introducing yourself deal, and I feel like that does also say a lot about me. I love the symmetry in his films and the artistry and the way he paints characters in a way. I actually just got a big... A big tapestry for my wall of Moonrise Kingdom, uh, which is one of my favorites by him. If anyone listening loves Wes Anderson movies as well, let's let's chat because uh, I just watched Life Aquatic and I have to talk about it. It, it blew my mind. I need to rewatch it immediately. Um, anyway, yeah, that's that's interesting. I, you know, actually, I, while you're talking, I think I realized like one thing that is. I guess cool about me. It's not really about me necessarily, but like what I do like for work is really hard to just to talk to people about who aren't also in the same field. Like even other mm. technologists who are like software devs don't really know a ton about the DevOps world. Usually some do, some don't. But it's really hard to describe what DevOps is and what that even means to people who aren't in the technology field at all. Uh, so yeah, that's definitely one that I'm excited about. I mean, I'm in the field, so to some degree it, it, I think it's cool, <laughs> but uh, mm-hmm. it's it's not very easy to talk about. Not not that it's not easy to bring up, but it's not easy to talk about. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm a fan of music theory, and occasionally uh, I'll get on my TikTok algorithm. It'll it'll send me like one music theory TikTok at, like once a month or so, and I'll be like, oh, it knows, it, it gets me. That's also something that doesn't really come up too often. But uh, I, I I was trained as a pianist for I don't know five or six years in my in my younger years, so. Uh, that's kind of stuck with me and, you know, a nice chord progression still like, yeah, that, that, that's good stuff. All right. So another question from Batwheels here is if you were forced to read one book over and over, what book would you choose? I am suffering from major recency bias here, but I'm going to go with Dune because I feel like that book is infinitely rereadable. Uh, I, I, I truly believe that there's so much you can get out of it and so much you can get from each subsequent read. Also, it takes a while, so you'll spend a good amount of time reading it through. And even if I spent my whole life just reading Dune over and over again, I might only still get to read it like seven or eight times. <laughs> but Yeah, mine would be The Way of Kings by Brandon Sanderson, which is the first of the Stormlight Archive books. And mm. I would probably, it's not my favorite of the series, but there is a lot, because it's it's the first book in the series, there's a lot of world building that goes into it. And 
a lot of like, you know, like uh, plot points that just subtly get dropped that you don't learn about until later books. And he, Brandon Sanderson's a master at that, by the way. He'll like mention one thing in one sentence or like one paragraph of a book and then like 1,200 or 1,500 or 2,000 pages later in another book, he'll meant like he'll actually bring that plot point to life and That's you'll cool. be like, oh, I remember reading about that in the other book like three years ago. Nice payoff. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, it's really cool. So, yeah, probably The Way of Kings by Brandon Sanderson. Now, I don't know if this is going to count, but you know the whole infinite monkey theorem? Uh, yeah, it sounds familiar. Remind me. Here's a callback for you. This is also one of my uh, things that I think is really cool and pertains to my personality that is difficult to bring up, but I'm somehow squeezing it in here. Uh, the, the idea is that there's a few different versions. Um, if you have a single monkey... And you put it in a room with a typewriter in front of it. Right. And the monkey is going to live forever. Uh, and it just starts banging on the keys. Eventually, it will retype the Iliad. Right. Uh, just by pure random chance. Over the course of billions and trillions of years, it'll eventually type every possible sequence. Uh, the other version of this has like infinite monkeys in a room that have infinite time or, or stuff like that. There's, there's variations, but this is it gets the point across. Yep. I would choose that book because it would certainly never get old, right? <laughs> I'd, I'd get to read everything. Not only would I get to read everything, I would get to read every, not only would I get to read every book, I'd get to read everything ever. Like I would get to read uh, a There's version of There's a lot of, of nonsense Dune. in there though. Uh, okay, yeah, I might have to thumb <laughs> through like seven trillion Bs in a row. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> Several times, but I would also get to read a version of Dune where uh, Paul is instead me. Or, um, and instead it's a multiverse of, uh, theory, the whole, but in books. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, I've, I've gone a little bit off the deep end here. We can bring it back. <laughs> <laughs> Next up, a question from Wolverine What's your favorite board game? For me, it's Dominion. Dominion's a deck builder game that has a handful of expansions and basically never plays the same way twice um but you know me with strategy games and deck builders like i love that kind of stuff so it's a very easy one and it's also an easy one to get other people involved in who like aren't familiar with the genre uh so yeah dominion i'm gonna go with Catan. as far as strict board games go it is chaotic it is strategy based depending on how i'm feeling i can veer back and forth on that spectrum where some games i'm going absolutely hard and other games if i don't get very good initial conditions i might just try to collect as many sheep as i can and try to set up a monopoly on sheep or do some absurd nonsense like that i should also shout out exploding kittens uh not quite a, a board one. game more of a card game uh and secret hitler is another one of my also favorites that does require that whole board. genre of games is good secret hitler um avalon the, yeah like, that whole genre of games is very very fun mm. but you really need a lot of people to play those and have a good good amount of fun with them I, i've never tried to play them with like three or four people but you really need a, a good group to to have good fun with those types of games now quick story about Catan or Catan, or however mm. you say it. I don't know. Now, in high school, Ben and I had a mutual friend who was a big Catan fan, and one day, her and Ben and myself sat down to play a game of Catan. I had never played before. It was my first time playing, and I handily beat both of them. <laughs> <laughs> I have, to this day, never played Catan again. Oh, my God. The perfect <laughs> score. <laughs> you bet, I bet you go around and tell people you have a Catan win streak. <laughs> When it comes up, when it comes up. Do you remember this? I do, I do. Yeah, I know okay. what you're talking about. Right. I remember this, yeah. Now, I also have to add an addendum here. I don't know if this counts. Is is Mario Party as a virtual board game? Mm. 
Yeah, that's interesting. I don't know that I would count, count that, that as a board game, but it I could see an argument where it, it could be counted and I wouldn't be like furious about that or anything. Yeah, it depends if we're going like strictly like you must have a board involved, like a physical right. wooden plank, or <laughs> uh, if it's the notion of characters moving across a board uh, that, that, that counts. In that case, I would say Mario Party just for the, the sheer variability and the fun and, and all that good stuff. All right, so our next question comes from Andy. And the question is, are pets less common in America because people live in quote-unquote apartments a lot? And do you guys have pets? Now, I'm, I'm a little curious with this question why there are quotes around apartments. Maybe there's a difference in the style of apartment in America versus where Andy's from, but uh, I don't know. Um, I would say pets are not, not less common. I feel like almost everybody has a pet, even in the city where there are like apartments and stuff. And I have a dog. Uh, maybe it's, I don't know. Some people call them flats. Maybe maybe that's it. But I uh, know apartments <laughs> oh, that could here be it. are. Yeah, that could be it. <laughs> yeah, uh, the apartment lifestyle is certainly popular amongst folks around our age range. I would say that some apartments that don't have pets allowed, a lot of my friends in that scenario still kind of sneak in like a cat here or there. I would say it might make people less likely. I, for example, I don't have any pets currently just partly as a as a result of my like daily schedule. Uh, I've, I've wanted to get a dog for so long, but just like the... The idea of like, I just would feel bad that my dog would sit at home as I'm gone from like seven to five every day. And I just, I don't want to put a puppy through that, you know, a cat maybe that wouldn't care. Although I'd have to cat proof my, my place. There's a lot of wires and shelves and such. Currently, I do have a few plants and I am attempting to not kill them. Do they sometimes get a little dry? Yes. Did one of them have a recent gnat infestation? Also, yes. <laughs> Although I took care of that. You know uh, the scene in, in episode two where Anakin is talking to, to Padme about how he dealt with the, uh, the sand people? Yep. Yeah, that, that's what I did with the, uh, <laughs> with the gnats that dared make a little house on my, on my plant. Yeah, I, I, I massacred those gnats. They're, they're all gone now. <laughs> Another one from Andy here. Who is your celebrity crush? I don't have one. Um... Yeah, and even like, oh, come just, on. no, no, like I genuinely don't. And like even just sitting there for that brief period, I'm not even going to cut, cut that out for the listener. <laughs> I, I, not, no names came to mind. I really just don't have one. The one that would come to mind for me that has been like, at this point, it's kind of like a running joke since high school. Uh, but Jenna, Jenna Louise Coleman. I don't even know who that is. Oh, uh, she was in she was in Doctor Who for a while. Um, oh, was that the? I, th- I think I remember the joke from high school, but yeah, I'm she, to remember which. she was which companion that was. I think she was with Matt Smith for a little while and then into Peter Capaldi a little bit and then left sometime during that time. I think she went on, I don't know, I don't want to spoil Doctor Who for anyone that's, uh, who am I kidding? The show is older than dirt. Like if you wanted to <laughs> get Doctor Who not spoiled, you've had time. But I think she like, she left at some point uh, and I don't even know if there's companions right now. I didn't catch much the the more recent series, but yeah, yeah I'd go generally with Coleman. Okay. Yeah, I, unfortunately, I really don't have one. No, no, no names are coming to mind. Another question from Andy is, do you ever find recording a chore? I know it mu- you must love it in general, but everything's more chorey when it's a commitment. I always wonder if like a footballer or for our US fans, soccer player still playing football or if it's just work to them now. Hmm. There are certainly some weeks when it's harder than others. You know, like if if depending on whatever personal stuff is happening and for us or if we've had like rough weeks because we're humans, you know, we're we, we have stuff we have to, you know, get up and like 
make dinner and all that stuff. Um, I wouldn't say it ever feels like a chore. I, I genuinely still look forward to recording every week. It's it's always one of the highlights of my week just because like we hang out, we have a good time. We'd be doing this anyway. Uh, and it, now it just so happens that we have all these amazing people that, that hang out with us, right? Yeah, and I think that's that's actually a very important part of this question is that I've never found the recording to be a chore. I found some of the mm. stuff after or before the recording to be a chore. And in terms of like, is the recording ever difficult? The only difficult part to recording is like making sure I have the time slot like allocated to making sure we can get the time in to do it. And occasionally, yeah, like Ben said, things are going on where it's it's difficult to like make myself sound excited while we're doing the show or, you know, things of that nature. Um, sometimes it's hard to hide in your voice that something's wrong mm-hmm. and that can be less fun. Um, and when you're distracted in things because of what's going on around you, it can make it less fun, but it's never a chore. I mean, like Ben said, it's this has started because we wanted to just have time to regularly talk about magic and like thought maybe some folks would enjoy it. So it's it, the recording's never been a chore. Editing can be a chore quite a lot. And I'm sure Ben does most of the show notes. I'm sure the show notes can be a chore. Um, some of the like other stuff like scheduling, like we've like Ben mentioned earlier, we've gotten better about having a more uh, structure to the show. And part of that is like scheduling out basically once a quarter, like scheduling out what are we doing for the next quarter? Like what what show topics are we doing for the next quarter? Uh, and that can be you know, it's something we have to remind ourselves to do and, and can be a chore, but the recording never is. Yeah, hard to agree. I think if this ever does feel like a chore, we wouldn't do it. You know, and I think it's pretty clear to the listener that we have fun doing this. And I think that's that's part of our appeal. I mean, a lot of a lot of content that's out there. I don't want to say that the people doing it don't know each other, but maybe they like they came to know each other through magic or something like that. But like we've known each other since what? We were like five. Yeah, it's <laughs> a long time. Yeah. So I, I think uh, people can tell that this is something we genuinely care about and, uh, you know, are, are passionate about. And hopefully that translates well through. I mean, I, I, I can say a bit of like the behind the curtain. Every time we get like a new patron or something, Zach will text me like, dude, look at this. And I'll respond like, oh, my God, this is amazing. Like it's it's like Christmas morning every time. Um, I don't think our excitement or zeal for this is going to wane anytime soon just because of how cool this is, <laughs> you know, like I'm, I'm, I'm really proud of, of all that we've managed to accomplish. Not many podcasts make it this far and not many podcasts can say that they have a discord that pops off every day with people sharing tips and, and gameplay and stuff like that. So, I mean, th- this is a celebration for us, but also for you listening, like y- you're part of this too. Uh, we look at those numbers and we know that every one of those is a person that, that takes time out of their week to, to hang out with us. And that's, that's just awesome. Absolutely. And our next question comes from Murmur, and Murmur asks, could you give us a refresher on ZNR for the Decathlon bot draft event? And Ben, you ran the tables with ZNR bot drafts, so why don't you why don't you give us a quick refresher? Now, I will say before Ben gets into that, you can check out our episodes on this. Now, we're going back a while, but you can check out our episodes on the format back when it was originally released. It was around episode, I think we did one on episode 18 as well. That was like our halfway through Zendikar Rising's kind of touch point and then our first impressions show and our format breakdowns were 14 and 13 respectively so you can check those out if you want to actually get like content on them right right so uh there's a few things to start with uh let's get one thing out of the way black green sucks uh (laughs) next um you really want to be playing a party deck of some kind 
Uh, black red party is fantastic. Blue white can be good. It's a little less good. You can be playing black white clerics life gain if you're doing the core celebrant slash Malakir blood priest marauding blight priest. If you just get enough of those commons, you're gonna win your games. To be honest, the most comfortable I feel playing a game of Zendikar Rising is if I have a turn one sneaking guide and I follow that up with uh, I don't know so, some warrior or a wizard or something, and then I go into an electromancer and then use that to play an expedition champion and then uh that that like core red party start and then if i have something like a deadly alliance a feed the swarm a blood beckoning in hand the game feels really hard to lose grotag bug catcher i think is the the best two drop in the set that thing just hits like a truck it's pretty easily a two mana four two trample which just is no joke especially when you can reanimate it get it back in different ways so definitely consider playing party stuff blue black rogues comes together uh it can be a mill deck there's a few Mythic Uncommons in there. Uh, Into the Royal ties them all together, but uh, the Mythic Uncommons themselves, of course, being the Crab, uh, Lull Mage's Domination, and kind of the bane of the format, Roost of Drakes, if you can put together a big kicker deck. That ties us in a blue-green. Blue-green kicker can... It can come together, uh, although not quite the way you think sometimes. Vine Gecko is a strong card in that deck. Draga Visionary is pretty solid. Something like Reclaim the Wastes you want one of. And then, honestly, one of the best cards in that deck, Skyclave Sentinel. Just kind of gets on the ground early, blocks, uh, and then you can kick it later in the game to swing in for four in the air. Uh, consider picking up equipment, maybe like one or two here and there. Uh, but a lot of them are traps. Skyclave Pickaxe, for example, you don't really want that. But to be honest, I feel best if I'm playing something like Black Red Party, Black White Life Game, or one of these maybe Blue Black Rogues decks that has uh, a busted uncommon in it. And then uh, there's just a lot of good removal, uh, good stuff. There's a lot of micro archetypes. Don't be afraid to play something like Blue Green Wizards, stuff that gets based off of the uncommon artifacts. The uh, Relic Vial, uh, Relic Amulet are the two ones that are built arounds for wizards and clerics. You can kind of make some wacky decks based on the, the party mechanic because it's so diverse uh, across colors. And of course, the big one, MDFCs. Take these highly, take these higher than you think you should. Even something like a Coom Warrior, the fact that this is a land slot that may, lets you maybe extra, that lets you maybe play an extra land, but also is a six drop in, in a pinch. Uh, that, that's that's a, a really great thing to have when you're in a top deck war with an opponent. Huh. Is there anything I missed? No, I mean, the only thing that I would add is like the bots weren't exceptional. I don't know if they've done any updates to them, but like you could pretty much put any of these types of decks together. Just keep an eye out on those open archetypes. And then, yeah, like Ben mentioned, Blue Green Wizards was a deck that most people didn't see until like probably halfway through the format and yeah. was one that actually did really well when you could put it together. So there are some that aren't really like what what I think the designers were were really thinking of when they built the, the set, but there's some cool archetypes that are kind of hidden around so yeah definitely play mm -hmm. around with those yeah just as a reminder the green archetypes tend to be slightly worse maybe avoid those if you can landfall and green just didn't really get there too much and red green landfall was a little bit disappointing basically you should only play red green if you have exactly phylath in your deck and if you see an opponent playing red green you should expect them to have a phylath so <laughs> play with that in mind one last thing royal eruption just the best thing in the set just take royal eruption take as many as you can get yeah have fun our next question from Rob dies at the end. Uh, any chance of getting another guitar solo this year? I hate to uh, I hate to do this, but I think you're gonna have to wait till the end of the show for that one. And uh, I guess is an, uh, an addendum. What is your crowning athletic achievement? Ooh, I actually have a good one for this. A little known fact about me: in sixth grade, in middle school, 
we had to run the mile uh, as part of our gym class. And I ran a five minute and 36 second mile. Wow. You just uh, like you just crapped all over my uh, my my <laughs> achievement there. But continue. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Fun fact. I don't know if you knew this, but both my parents were runners and that's actually how they met. So I used to do like the uh, little kid track events and in an alternate universe, I I went on to become like a a track star and all that stuff. And I still enjoy running today, but, you know, I I could have done something with that. But instead, I chose to (laughs) to start playing magic with you after school. And I guess we can see how that worked out. Yeah, yeah. So it's actually funny because I think, you know, given how nerdy a lot of us are and like the two of us, I mean, and the fact that most people haven't seen us or really know anything about us outside of our magic-ing, I guess, our magic-ing, um, yeah. Ben and I actually have fairly athletic backgrounds, at least like growing up. I played hockey for 11 years and also ran quite a bit. I was relatively quick as a kid. My achievement that I was going to mention here was that at one point I ran a six-minute flat mile. So. Nice. I mean, still very fast, but, you know, got got uh, upstaged a little there. Um, but, yeah, I, I think I think that was it. I didn't do like a ton in terms of achievements. I wasn't like an exceptional athlete, but I, I did sports and stuff. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I don't know if I mentioned it, but I, I played the cross for a while. I surf still, uh, but I've been surfing since I was like eight. I did karate. Uh, that's never come up on the show. I, I don't think I've ever said this, but I have two black belts, which is always a fun tidbit to drop. I think I think that the mile time has got to be my all timer. Um, I don't know if I could do that today. I, I'd certainly have to train. And I shouldn't mention uh, that immediately after I did this, I ran to the bathroom and threw up because. <laughs> <laughs> all right, I've got that. I didn't I didn't throw up after my six minute mile, so I've got that. So. <laughs> Uh, uh, yeah, there, there was, there was that. <laughs> oh, I, actually, I don't know if this quite counts as a, uh, no, no, this does count as an athletic achievement. Also in middle school, I want to say eighth grade, we had to run backwards in gym class. Now, I don't know if you remember this, but there was a time at which like partway through the school year, they stopped having us do backwards running for warmups, which they, you know, they'd have us do all the time. And it was actually because of me, because during one of those running backwards warmups, I tripped and fell on my wrist and broke it. I don't know what how it happened. I just remember like running backwards one second and the next second I was airborne. But I I, uh, I, I forever altered the curriculum <laughs> at, our, at our school because they no longer run backwards there, thanks to me. Uh, maybe that's also up there in my crowning achievements. Yeah, it's almost like a punt of athletic like <laughs> abilities, but that's interesting. Yeah, I didn't realize oh, um, that. I uh, I did actually have to play piano in a concert two weeks after that happened. So definitely a punt. Oh, well done. Yeah. Our next question comes from Dorigan. And it, it, the question is, favorite food at Christmas? Now, I'm not sure that I have a Christmas food that's speci- like a food that is a favorite that I only get around Christmas time. I mean, maybe cookies, right? Like there are specific cookies that we make typically around Christmas and not really any other time of year. Snickerdoodles are one of my favorite cookies. Not that you can't make those outside of like Christmas time, but they're pretty common around Christmas and you get those like classic sugar cookies as well, uh, which are always good. But I don't know that I have a particular food that's a favorite um, that we only really eat at Christmas. Do you? It is a tradition in my house uh, with my family to give each other chocolate Santas on Christmas Day. And I have historically eaten a chocolate Santa for breakfast every single Christmas as long as I can think back. So I don't know if that quite answers this question the way it was intended. You, you actually got me to remember one. Uh, and I don't know how I forgot this. I guess when, when I read the question, I was thinking dinner, like Christmas dinner. 
But yeah. my my mother actually, for as long as I can remember, made what she calls a French toast bake, which is basically just French toast thrown in like a casserole dish and like smothered in like syrup and like egg yolk and like some other stuff toss in the oven and then just baked and pull it out with you know that with bacon and coffee and it's it's an, like an exceptional christmas morning uh breakfast food so that's definitely it we pretty much only get that at christmas so i don't know if this is at christmas but i could have sworn i've had that before like your mom's like she, egg bake that sounds so familiar was i ever over at christmas time and had that must have been because i don't really remember her ever making it any other time and she certainly didn't make it outside of holidays so it must it just have been sounds a so morning. familiar you know yeah. i don't know what it was but yeah, we used to do it every I, year I just, so I, I just have a feeling like i remember being in your kitchen and like there was like a, a pan there with like that in it or like a like a rectangle i don't know what this was we'll, we'll figure it out later but <laughs> um i would say pillsbury crescent rolls are also a a holiday tradition for me my, my, my family would have or one side of my family would get together with all the cousins and uh, my dad has five siblings like uh, amongst them all. So that that was always like a big family get together with everyone getting together and everyone would fight over the crescent rolls because they would always make too few for everybody. So if you got a crescent roll, you were one of the lucky ones. That That's also something that I, I associate pretty heavily with Christmas. <laughs> Wolverine seconded uh, Rob's request for a song at the end, even going as far as to request the duet. So. I don't know, Zach. I don't know if you're gonna be able to get out of this one. Yeah, it's. Uh, I feel like I'm a little, a little bit backed into a corner here. I think we might be able to get it. Uh, next up, question from Wolverine is, "What's our hidden talent?" Yeah, that's interesting. I don't know that I have a hidden talent, like as in one that I just don't really let people know that I have. There are a few that I think I'm decent at that that most people don't know just because it doesn't come up. But I'm also I'm one of those people who is like always into something new. I I'm like one of those people who's like 150 percent into something for like two weeks and then I lose all interest in it and I move on to something else that I'm 150% involved with for another two weeks and it just keeps going and then occasionally I'll rotate back to one of my older hobbies and and keep doing that like the fact that I kept doing this podcast for this long is actually pretty remarkable and probably because it's not me doing it by myself but one of those things is model painting like uh, miniature models Mm. for like war games like uh, uh, Warhammer and things like that I, I really like to do that it's like a bit of a creative outlet for me that I don't do very often, but I have a ton of supplies for, and I don't think I've actually painted models in over a year at this point, but something that I will, it's one of those hobbies that I'll circle back to every so often. I write a lot, I guess, on my own. I read a lot, but that's not really a talent. Um, I don't know. I don't know that I have one outside of that. I understand a few languages. I don't speak them very well, but I understand (laughs) German pretty well. I understand Portuguese pretty well. I understand Spanish pretty well, but I can't speak them very well. Those, those definitely all count. I would say my hidden talent is that I have synesthesia. I knew you were going to say that. I mentioned on here. Have I have I mentioned that before on here? Uh, I'm not sure if you mentioned on the show, but I, of course I know about it. Yeah. Um, so those that don't know, synesthesia is a genetic thing where the wires in your brain get crossed and, and bump into each other in weird ways. And tons of people have it just to different degrees. Some people have it in, in weirder ways than others. Some folks, in fact, there's pretty common traces of it in everyone where some people will say like, oh, Wednesday feels like the color blue, for example. Like uh, different things have cross associations with other different things. So there's there's different tricks you can do with it depending on the kind of synesthesia you have. For example, if you go way back again to our high school, our friend who is also uh, a synesthete, as, as we're known, uh, she had a really strong association with uh, sensory stuff and colors. 
So I remember uh, she hated the color orange because she said it was too like prickly and too sharp for her to be around. And she'd get like viscerally like uncomfortable around the color orange. And there's all sorts of different ones. Some people have it from uh, colors to numbers, days of the week to feelings. Uh, it, there, there's tons of different classifications. It's, it's as complex as the brain itself. But my particular flavor is music and colors. So sometimes that'll that'll manifest in like if a if a, a song's album artwork matches the chords and notes in the song particularly well, I tend to like it more. And sometimes with instruments. So my my favorite uh, xylophone that I used to play in high school, the color of the xylophone's uh, like keys themselves was this like beautiful like deep orange that matched the color of what an F chord is in my head. Which the xylophones it, it, you can. The very bottom note on a xylophone is the F, and the very top note is a C. So you can play FAC, 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 all the way up to the top. So the xylophone was, the xylophone's color matched its, uh, its like scaling, its notes from top to bottom, which I found like very uh, satisfying in my head. So I've always wanted to go back and steal it. I hope it's still there. Interesting. I have a couple of things that are kind of like that. Um, one is that, and I don't know if you remember this, Ben, but I used to only be able to lucid dream. I never, I, I had a, a long stretch of time where like I couldn't not be aware of my dreams while I was dreaming. Hmm. And I used to have a, a handful of dreams that would happen. There was one in particular that I would have every year on the same day of the year for something like, I don't know, six or seven years this happened. And in I that, that, no, I, I talked about this at length in like psychology class, although we didn't share the same class. Um, yeah. Yeah. And it basically I would have it the same day of the year. I think it was December 20th every year. And in it, it was this, it was essentially the same dream every year, but with slight variations. Basically what would happen is I would guide 99 other people that I know, like some of like acquaintances, whatever, just, it was 99 other people through this. Like the only way I can describe it is like a fun house, but it was like this weird, like interdimensional, like house of sorts and we would climb from the bottom like the entrance up to the to the roof mm. through like while going through this this like fun house thing and in the dream everybody but myself and one other person would die and the oh my god the person that survived was the person i had grown emotionally closest to that year wow is really bizarre and it happened for like yeah like half a decade or so maybe six or seven years and then and then it just stopped happening. So it didn't happen, what, two days ago? <laughs> no, no, it didn't. Fascinating. One last one for me, not one that'll ever come up on the podcast, but I've been told that I'm a good whistler. Uh, I love whistling. <laughs> Fun fact, I don't even think it'll come through very well on the mic. I don't know if, if, uh, if that would translate well. I don't want to blow anyone's uh, anyone's headphones off. You can either, try so. it. I can just cut it out if it's a problem. Nah, this will be incentive for people to hang out with us in person. Uh, so next good. time there's like a GP or or if we're ever in, in different parts of the world or, or something like that, uh, you'll have to ask me to whistle and I'll do it for you there. I, I feel like if I if I start whistling, we'll just see like uh, in, our, in our data, we'll see people just like just everyone just closes out the podcast <laughs> right there. Well, that's going to happen with me singing too. So <laughs> <laughs> That's at the end though. We'll still get our full view from that. I think. There you go. There you go. Well, our next question comes from Batwheels, and that is, what is your favorite world region based on food? For example, I've never been to Asia, but I love almost all the Asian food I eat. Love this question. We didn't right, get enough food right. questions, and I, I love this. I think I would have to go with Italy. 
just based off the fact that I, I love some good authentic Italian cuisine. I'm not talking that that Olive Garden nonsense. I mean some like good traditional stuff. I think if there was one place like you, you told me I had to visit on like a food tour, I would just go Italy and say, all right, <laughs> let's get started. Like, Give, yeah, give me fair. some some authentic good stuff, you know? Yeah, it's, it's interesting. I like to say Asia for me as well. Um, bat wheels, but most of the Asian food I've eaten that I really enjoy is American Asian food, which is not mm. Asian food. <laughs> yeah. You know, like yeah. your general South's chicken is not, is not going to really <laughs> fit the bill though. There are a lot of different types of Asian cuisine I've had that I do quite enjoy. And mm. from just uh, knowing what ingredients typically are used in Asian cuisine and the way that those kind of come together. And I'm, I'm a big fan of cooking. So I, I play around with these sorts of things every so often i know i like the the palette of asian food flavorfully so that's that's up there for me i never was a big fan of italian food when i was growing up because i hated tomatoes and pretty much every Mm. italian dish has some form of tomatoes in it yeah it's true i've since come around and learned the error of my ways but yeah good italian food is good now one one that's interesting and this is like a specific subsection of food for me but georgia the country oh they make the most amazing bread cheese bowl things. I don't even know how huh. to describe it, but just like look up a Georgian cheese bowl and make sure you're not getting the state of Georgia in the US, but like the country yeah. of Georgia. There's a there's a Georgian restaurant or there was, I'm not sure if it's still there, but there oh, was wow. a Georgian restaurant in New York that I went to once and they had like it was like a bread bowl with like cheese and eggs in it. And it was just like this most amazing, delicious thing. And I've never seen anybody else make them like this. Um, yeah. So that's a great place. If you love bread and cheese, check out Georgia. Yeah. Um, I'm looking at pictures of this right now. That looks like something. It almost looks like, like a weird pizza, like a, like a deep dish pizza. Although Kinda. I guess the the combination of, of bread and cheese it has, you know, that that's a, a pair as old as time. Right, right. Yeah, I guess for me, like overall, I'd have to say I'd have to say Asian. I my mom's Brazilian, like was born in Brazil and moved here when she was a kid. So there is a special place in my heart for Brazilian food. But I would have to say I tend to prefer Asian food over like Latin American food just in general. Mm. Um, but yeah, I think I think if you had to ask me, like you get to pick one country and that's the only type you can only eat food from that country for the rest of your life. I'd be torn between like Spain, Japan and Italy, I think would be like the three that I would be torn between. Mm-hmm. Uh, I will say exactly 24 hours ago, I was eating all you can eat sushi. So uh, nice. next time you're in town, we'll have to go there. There's a brand new place. It's like 10 minutes from me and it is it's pretty fantastic. Sounds good to me. Next up from Dorgan, what is your go-to karaoke song? Zach, why don't you start with this? Oh, gosh. I thought you were going to actually explicitly mention it, but Dorgan at the end of this question in parentheses wrote, you have to pick something, Zach. <laughs> so, well, fun, let's fact, hear it. fun fact, I've never done karaoke. Really? Yeah, never. Oh, we'll have to change that at some point. But I guess if I had to pick a go-to song, you know, I don't even know what I'd pick. Like, what is it? What is it? Like... All the, the I find I feel like the typical go to like karaoke songs are songs that are actually incredibly difficult to sing and everybody tries them anyway. Like a lot uh-huh. of good Queen classics are good like are, are go to karaoke songs. They're all incredibly difficult to actually sing. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that that's very true. I would probably say that my my number one knockout hit is My Way, the Frank Sinatra. Ooh. Um, 
that's that's my my showstopper. I I full belt it. I've got the the deep parts and the high parts down on it. However, one of my my favorite songs to sing solo that if if I'm trying to go like a little more a little more spicy, a little more uh, creative, I would go Orange Colored Sky, the uh, the Nat King Cole version. That song uh, is one of my favorite solos to sing, uh, just kind of on its own. Super fast, super jazzy, uh, but also get to play around with with different vocal ranges and do some cool runs here and there. Uh, you get to scat if you're really feeling it. That's a, a very fun karaoke song. So, okay, uh, I didn't actually pick one, and to honor Dorgan's request, I will pick one. One song that is a favorite of mine to sing, like, in the car and stuff, that I actually feel, and, you know, I very well could be biasing myself because I'm in the car and you always sound better than you actually are Hmm. to yourself, but one song that I feel I can hit most of the notes on pretty well and enjoy singing is Cry Me a River by Michael Buble. Ah, yeah, and that's a great it's, choice. It's a it's a solid song, and I feel like it's one that uh, would be fun to sing in front of people or or to like get a crowd involved with or something. Totally, that's got the same uh, same oomph to it as as some yeah, of the other ones that I was talking about. It's jazzy and yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, I will say, if I'm with a group of, of friends, um, something by the Killers can be fun too. Mister Brightside is an all time oh, yeah. uh, showstopper. Sure. <laughs> Wolverine also requested that uh, we could sing our go to karaoke songs, but. Uh, like I said, I think we can just wait for the sign off for that. That could be another. That could be a fun uh, draft chat meetup, like post GP weekend or something. <laughs> like we go out to a karaoke bar or something and with meet up with uh, meet up with fans. Oh, say no more. Uh, I'm absolutely in. Next time it's uh it's you know safe to go to a, a big magic event. If we could go and meet up some of the, some of the aficionados there, uh, we we can personally take everyone out to a karaoke bar. Uh, I'll, I'll put that in stone. Now we have one last question here, and that is from Batwheels. And the question is, what are you most excited about in 2022, both for Magic and for your personal lives? And then on the flip side, what are you least excited about? Well, for Magic, honestly, is it weird to say this podcast? <laughs> like, I'm excited to see what we keep doing. Um, I think we set a high bar for ourselves pretty, pretty right off the bat, right? And we've tried to meet it as best we can. But I'm also excited to see what new ideas we come up with. Um, we haven't forgotten about the cube. We haven't forgotten about having more guests on. And we've been putting out little little feelers here and there for different folks. And uh, I like the direction that we're going in here. I'm excited to see what other random stuff we come up with. Because ultimately, this is our podcast. We're going to keep doing nonsense with it. Whatever we kind of think is good. We're going to continue playing a lot of limited. and The, the magic superior format uh maybe try to get a little more edh going i know sometimes we have murmurings of trying to get games together and i don't know that there's some good stuff coming in magic uh new Capenna is going to be pretty cool new kamigawa is going to be pretty cool some of the urza stuff i'm less interested in i know that's going to be more for some of the more i don't want to say older players but you know we we weren't around for the original (laughs) urza stuff so that'll be cool to see from from a newer perspective but I don't know. It seems like there's more magic stuff coming out now than ever before, right? Yeah, which is maybe also a bad thing. <laughs> um, yeah. In terms, in terms of magic for me, I'm also equally excited about the show and trying to figure out what we can do to get more people involved and just what what we can do to kind of shake things up and make it make it exciting for for everybody listening and all those sorts of things definitely excited about new capenna it seems like it's going to be cool to go back to wedges and we haven't really had Mm. a proper wedge set in a while so that's really fun i'm loving what we've seen so far from kamigawa as well so i'm excited about the new sets in general a little bit less excited about how many we seem to be getting um it is a little bit much and probably what i'm least excited about for magic in 2022 is arena 
to be honest with you, I'm just getting so tired of all the garbage that has been sticking around with Arena. Not even that, like, they're adding new bad things, but just they're not fixing anything and they're not... Oh, they're adding new bad things, okay. too. Okay, <laughs> they are. You're right, you're right. But, uh, yeah. I might also say least excited about the influx. You know, it's felt harder and harder to keep up. And as quote-unquote content creators... There is sometimes that pressure to feel as though we've caught up. Like, I think social media presence has been something that we're, like, trying to improve. And that part of that is, you know, staying up to date on on what's happening in the Magic community, in, in the sphere. Uh, like, they announced a partnership with Post Malone, uh, like, I guess at the time of release a few days ago. I'm like, what does that mean? <laughs> like, do, do I have to go listen to Post Malone songs now? I, I, he's, he's a pretty good artist, but, you know, the fact that he plays Magic is very cool, but... It's just it's just a lot sometimes, and this is a game we do this because it's a fun game and because we have fun playing it. And you know, I think if we ever take ourselves too seriously, it'll be the death of us, right? But it it would be nice if if things I don't know. It feels like the 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 gas pedal is all the way down on the ground right now. It'd be nice if we could let lessen up a little bit. Yeah, that's true. There is a lot of pressure on to like stay up to date and and there's also some pressure which we put on ourselves like i don't think anybody who's in the discord has ever put pressure on us for this but yeah like we have not missed an episode since we started the show we've put out one every single week even mm-hmm. if like we couldn't record one every week we made sure we had one recorded so that we could release it so that we didn't miss a week so now whenever we're like faced with a situation where it's like this could be tough we might not be able to fit this in it's like no we have to do this because we haven't missed a week yeah. and we don't want to at this point so yeah yeah i guess uh i don't know Listener, would you forgive us if we ever did miss a week? Not that I'm thinking that's going to happen anytime soon, but I don't know. What if some catastrophe happens? It, it might feel worse then if we're not prepared mentally to <laughs> to reckon with that. I don't think it like we I think we'd be fine. We have awesome listeners and they would understand. Right. But I don't know. It, it does feel like we're pressured almost by ourselves, not right. the community or anything else. But we hold ourselves to high standards, I think. High, high is relative. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. I was just thinking that. I was like, uh, high for us. Yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah. What yeah. about what about personal life? Do you have any any sort of things you're you're really excited about coming up in uh, 2022? To be honest, it's kind of bad, but I, I feel it's kind of bad that I initially think of the downsides, the things that I'm least excited about, the things that are getting canceled, the things that are getting moved or altered. I think a lot of the world still has a lot of personal adjusting to do to the fact that we are still in a pandemic. Things are still not looking great. And with the rise of new variants and misinformation every day, it's hard to not get depressed, you know, just by the state of things. And as someone who also considers himself fairly up to date on the the political happenings, there's just like the more you learn, the more bummed you get. Right. And then the question is, do you continue to stay active and learn at the risk of continuing to bum yourself out? Or do you shut yourself off and then wind up ill-informed? Uh, and it's a really hard balance to strike. And uh, I I feel kind of... It's upsetting to think that that's not going to stop anytime soon. That I don't foresee having people in charge that really care about the the marginalized groups and the people that need the, the most help. Uh, maybe we'll get that. Maybe we'll get that sometime in the near future. Maybe we won't. But uh, that's what first comes to mind. 
but then what comes to mind next is uh, all the things that have happened that have made it better. For example, knowing I get to talk to you every week on the podcast or knowing that my friends and I still have like long distance game night sessions when, when we can't do other stuff or uh, that I still get to hang out with cool teachers at, at school every day and that we still sneak in like lunches together when we can to, to break up the routine. So overall, the, the state of the world could be better. Right. But it probably will be like that forever. And trying to have that healthy outlook is is pretty important. Something I, I think I'm, I'm going to try to work on in the new year. How about you? Yeah, no, that's that's a big piece. Um, I tend to be one of like more aloof in terms of political discussions, at least like it's really hard to find somebody who you can talk to. And by that, I mean, actually have a conversation with and not just immediately feel like you're at odds with somebody about it, uh, which is, I think, endemic to the problem of, of the way that politics are handled in our country right now. But um, mm. so not that wasn't on the forefront of my mind, but the the stuff with like the way the pandemic is affecting people just in general, like their mentalities, their happiness through like, you know, family members getting sick and dying and things like that. Like, yeah, that's that's really depressing frankly. Yeah. Uh, some other stuff. I mean, I've got some personal stuff going on, as I've mentioned. So like that's going to leak into the new year and not sure what that's going to look like or any of those sorts of things. So that is something that I think I would categorize under the least excited about because it's stuff that's got to get worked out and it's difficult, but, um, most excited about probably finding a new slash more permanent residence. Like I'm, I'm renting an apartment now and we'll, we, we have it until November, but I would like to be buying property in the next 12 months, both nice. investment properties and a personal residence or potentially both like, you know, do the house hack thing and rent out part of it and, and live in, in part of it, that kind of thing. And kind of, yeah, move into more of the sort of multiple income stream sort of area of the Venn diagram, I guess. I don't, I don't know what I'm saying <laughs> at this point. Um, <laughs> yeah, I got you. I got you. Yeah. So, I mean, that's, that's, that's kind of big on my horizon. I'd love to get to travel more. But again, that's no. all pandemic oriented. I'm curious at what point we stop calling it a pandemic. Cause like, you know, we, we deal with the flu every year in like a certain level and we don't call that a pandemic anymore. I wonder mm. if it's, if it's a treatment, like it's related to treatment. Like once we have a, a vaccine that is working annually that like people can just continue to get, cause I think that's where we'll end up. Right. But yeah, I'm curious where that, where that line gets drawn. Um, so I guess I'm would be interested to see that but yeah i think that does it for all our questions thanks a lot yeah. for, for the submissions this has been a lot of fun yeah totally thanks everybody and uh we really cannot thank you all enough we'll we'll get into more sappy end of the year thank yous uh next episode don't worry but for now we'll say uh have a fantastic holiday whatever holiday it is you celebrate and uh you know go eat some good food play some good magic Post in the Discord, the decathlon event is in full swing, which I think is a lot of fun. Uh, I'm currently three for four on tokens. I'm probably going to try to get my uh, my traditional vow sealed or no, traditional vow draft one uh, after we're done recording this. So uh, I'll hopefully go four for four. I'm hoping to get that that clean sweep. Why not? I've already come this far. And, uh, you know, happy holidays. So everyone, at the request of our listeners, we thought we wanted to end with... I don't know. Just take a listen. I really can't stay. But baby, it's cold outside. I've got to go but Baby, away. it's cold outside. The evening has been, been 
and hoping that you so drop in. very nice. I'll hold your hands there just like ice. My mother will start to Beautiful, worry. what's your hurry? And father will be pacing the floor. Listen to the fireplace roar. So really I'd better scurry. Beautiful, please don't hurry. But maybe just a half a draft Drafting more. is never a bore. I really can't stay.